Hello, you're listening to Sunday Starter. I'm Andy Mangum. My goal in these podcasts is to look at a Sunday coming up on the lectionary, to look at one of the texts assigned to that in the Revised Common Lectionary, and to provide a non-chatty overview of that text, some interpretations, some things that I would think about if I were serving as a Sunday school teacher or elder or preacher or worship leader or any kind of thing uh, to get you ready on Sunday. Uh, my hope is that to you, you do this as part of your commute time to redeem the drive for, indeed, the commutes are evil. Today, we are looking at Eastertide uh, uh, 5, uh, the fifth Sunday of Eastertide in year C, and uh, we're looking at the Acts reading, Acts chapter 11, 1 through 8. Some things that we would point out uh, about this, uh, you want to think about the context. Acts has begun with a thesis statement, Acts 1, 8, uh, that you will be my witnesses, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that has given me a theme of expanding circles. God's grace has been expansive and inclusive since the beginning of time. But uh, the early church wrestled, as we do even today, with the expanding circle and understanding that God's love is inclusive, which means our circle has to expand. The first five chapters of Acts really focus on the charismatic, that is proclamation of the gospel in in, in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the early church forms, and so there are community-forming statements like Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, they gathered together and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. There are other comments along the way about the way in which the early church formed in Jerusalem and the, the community of believers, not really called the church yet. Uh, I hope you'll forgive me for using that term, but it may not be appropriate quite yet, but the early believers in Jerusalem were forming community. And then in Acts chapter 6, we have the first sort of hint that God's expanding, so the, the, the inclusive love of God, which, which requires the body of believers circle to expand, the church's circle to expand, is not as easy as it might look. There's a conflict between Judean Christian believers and Hellenistic uh, these would be Hellenistic Jewish believers that uh, in, in Jerusalem about the distribution of bread to the widows. And so deacons are formed to account for and administer a faithful distribution of the bread to everybody without showing partiality. But this first sort of hint that man, maybe expanding our circles isn't easy as it might look. We have uh, then a persecution that breaks out and that persecution forces some of the believers out of Jerusalem, and they they begin to proclaim the good news as Jesus had instructed them throughout the Judean countryside and into Samaria. We hear a story in Acts uh, about Philip going and proclaiming the good news in Samaria, and how then when the people in Jerusalem heard about it, they commissioned Peter and John to go and to to fortify that proclamation. And so, uh, you know, again, this this Uh, the aspect that will become important in our reading today, that Jerusalem is still the seat of authority for the early believers. And we're going out from Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. In Acts chapter 9, we hear about the conversion of Saul, who is a persecutor of the church and experiences the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, is converted through that experience, seeks entrance to the believers in Damascus, and receives entrance through Ananias, and then goes to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem receives access to the believers through the ministry of Barnabas. So again, this emphasis, when the church in Jerusalem hears about the proclamation in Samaria, they rejoice, 
They respond graciously by sending Peter and John. When they hear about the proclamation of the good news to an opponent like Saul, they're wary, but ultimately they come around to accept him. But now the good news has gone to Cornelius. Peter was in Joppa and Peter received a vision uh, where God described to him that the things that he had been taught to believe were unclean to eat his whole life were actually clean and that he should receive them with gratitude. It was really not about the food he ate, but rather about the people he associated with. And so later, Peter goes with Cornelius's envoy uh, to Cornelius's house. And there in the home of a former centurion, a Gentile, Peter proclaims the good news and Gentiles now are baptized into the church, and he remains there and receives their hospitality for some time. And so it's that act of receiving hospitality that the people in Jerusalem are going to be uh, a little upset with. Verse 1 begins uh, then and says, Acts chapter 11, verse 1, Now the apostles and believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the they said to him, uh, the circumcised believer criticized him. The circumcised believers criticized him, uh, saying to him, why did you go up to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? So a few things I want to emphasize here. One is depending on the translation that you're looking at, you're going to see different ways that uh, the NRSV calls it the, the circumcised believers. But uh, some translations will actually say the circumcised party uh, there. There does seem to be some indication that the circumcision was a body within the body of Christ, was a, was, a, uh, was a group within the body of Christ who believed that the uh, practices of the followers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had to be followed as people are coming to an awareness of and acceptance of being embraced by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are others like Paul who felt very differently. And so there is that tension. But uh, a couple of places to look at maybe to see this controversy in its early church context. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, So then remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision. That's not actually the word that gets used there. Uh, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision. So there are a part of believers who believe that you had to, to follow these practices and others that you did not. Uh, and then Galatians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul recounts how Peter ate with uh, people uh, without showing distinction until people of the circumcision party showed up. Uh, and so, uh, so there is that evidence of this early church debate between believers about what practices had to be observed by those who call themselves Christian. Uh, so they criticized Peter saying, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Um, and, and so eating with them seems to be a real uh, factor that uh, is, is important. I, I think a little bit about uh, stories about Jimmy Carter in the Camp David Accords. And as much as was achieved in, in, in that to bring about peace, um, Carter himself has indicated that one of his disappointments was that he could not get the parties involved to sit down at meal together and to eat together. Eating together incredibly significant in uh, the Middle East and in other places as well. Um, and Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, this is verse four, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners. And it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air, I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. That emphasis on salvation is different a little bit than the way the story is told in uh, Acts chapter 10. So there is that emphasis that is being added to Peter's account here in chapter 11. And uh, so it begins with verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same spirit that God gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. There are some things I would want to avoid in uh, dealing with this text on a Sunday morning. Uh, one of the things I would want to avoid is uh, arrogance. Uh, there is a way that this works its way into churches, at least churches that I deal with, that emphasize the unity of the body of Christ, the expansive, inclusive love of God, uh, where we say things like all means all. Uh, and, and sometimes that transitions from an emphasis of God's grace to our magnanimity uh, and, and can, can bleed out into some unhelpful ways. One of those ways is tolerance. Uh, I think the, you know, the idea that, that we're going to you know, just make room for everybody and be tolerant of everybody, and it's all upon our sheer force of will that we are accepted, rather than saying we are all embraced in God's love, and we as the people of God are trying to keep up with God. There is another form of this that, that I would call noblesse oblige, uh, the idea that we are empowered, whoever we are, that we are empowered and that we are uh, obligated by that empowerment to take care of these less fortunate uh, people and give them entrance into our church. Um, uh, I think there's also a, a capacity in which we, we work at earning the diversity merit badge um, and try to, to have a checklist of categories of people that we include uh, so that we can uh, say that we're that inclusive. If you ever filled out a congregational profile, you'll know what I mean by the merit badge. But notice what Peter emphasizes here. He emphasizes what God has done, what God has made clean, that the Holy Spirit guided them, that God gave them the gift that God had given us. So instead of arrogance, I would want to emphasize that it is God's grace that is at the foundation of all we do as the followers of Jesus Christ. It is not God's circle that needs to expand. God's circle has always been expansive and inclusive. But as we follow God through Jesus Christ, it is our circle that expands. Uh, there is a passage in Shaking the Foundations by Paul Tillich that you may be familiar with. Paul Tillich says, uh, you are accepted. Uh, it's a beautiful passage. He, he repeats it. You are accepted. You are accepted. You're accepted. And, and he goes on to talk about how you are accepted, maybe by that which you do not know yet. And he says, you don't have to do anything. Don't, you don't, don't even intend anything right now. Maybe later you will do more. But for now, rest in that awareness of your acceptance by God. 
But later on, the next chapter after that passage that is frequently quoted, Tillich takes a turn that I think is reflective of this text, or at least applicable to this text, where he says, it is this grace that we find ourselves in, this acceptance by God that allows us then to see one another in grace. And he refers to this as the reunion of life to life. A friend of mine said that, that something fundamentally shifted for him when he stopped seeing the people who were no longer in church or who were not a part of church, not as targets of marketing, but rather as people to whom he said, not, not necessarily out loud, but in his mind, he would say, we are incomplete without you. There is a reunion of grace that life reconnects to life in meaningful ways, but it is not because we will it to happen, but rather because God has created the foundation for much. So I'd want to avoid arrogance. I would want to emphasize God's grace. I would want to avoid generalizing. There is a need to be specific. And so while I uh, love the idea that, that all means all, uh, I also recognize that the church has put out the all are welcome, uh, welcome mats before, and yet our actions have not always uh, backed that up. And uh, Mother Mangum would, would say frequently, your actions are speaking so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. People need to know uh, that our actions include them. And sometimes that does mean speaking about specific groups and how they, um, uh, they specifically are welcome, that we understand uh, that there are situations that, that are, are difficult um, and, and that we uh, want to be better at responding to those uh, spaces. Um, people's race, their culture, their occupation, their skin color, their gender, their sexual orientation, these things matter to people. And when we say things like, I don't see whatever it is that we say we don't see, um, we may think what we're doing is expressing hospitality, but I'm afraid that, that many people uh, from whom we're trying to express that, to whom we're trying to express that hospitality, uh, may actually hear uh, us say, uh, I don't see this very important part of you. I don't see you fully. Uh, so I want to avoid that sort of uh, generalization. And instead, I would want to emphasize that there is a space for us to express sensitivity to people and their cultural backgrounds and uh, and have awareness and to let people define them on their own terms. Uh, I really appreciate some language that comes out in our boundaries training uh, from Faith Trust Institute, uh, where they, 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 they have taught me to make the shift from thinking about cultural competence, which is I understand these cultural expressions and I can navigate them with effectiveness to a stage of cultural humility to say, I don't understand, but I want to that I'm curious, that I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to acknowledge my own limitations and maybe even my biases, but that I will enter that space, not with arrogance, not with generalization, not with erasing and trying to pretend like we can delete out those things that might have once separated us, but rather uh, acknowledge them and uh, express the beauty in, in, in that. Uh, by the same token, though, I would want to avoid, third thing I'd want to avoid is objectification. Um, people are, are not simply check marks in a demographic survey. Uh, their, their lives are full and round. And so if they feel like they're being targeted, if they feel like they're the token of whatever group it is that we're trying to accept, uh, they will feel objectified. And so I would want to make sure that we see them. Now, the work of the church should always remain a focus on demonstrating honor to God and committing to human thriving. The church exists to serve people and to honor God. And so I would want to uh, emphasize as my alternative uh, to objectification, what I think are twin virtues of hospitality 
and presence. Hospitality being present, being being uh, allowing people into the space that we control and, and demonstrating grace and welcome and warmth uh, and acceptance. And then presence going to people on their terms and being present with them on their terms. Notice that Peter does not say to Cornelius, you've got to come back to Jerusalem where you'll be baptized and tested and approved by the believers there. Rather, Peter, despite all of his reservations, goes to Cornelius's house and interacts with Cornelius on his own terms. Last thing I would want to avoid is triumphalism. Uh, when we come at uh, these historic, what we call maybe Jewish or traditional uh, Judaic uh, practices and and how we as, as uh, Christians having been given birth by Judaism, how do we relate back to those practices? I see some triumphalism. It usually goes something like this, that Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice accomplished the purity responsibilities of the law, and so therefore those are no longer necessary for us. I think that's a very linear uh, thought process that may not reflect the diversity of the Hebrew Bible's dialogue. I think there's a conversation happening in the First Testament, in the Second Testament, and throughout Christian history, a dialogue in which we certainly have a position and we have some teaching that guides us, but it needs to be a conversation where we respect the perspective of others. In the Hebrew Bible, it is not a monolith. Uh, we hear, for instance, Micah 6, 8, where Micah says, he has shown you a person what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. There was a de-emphasis in Micah on the temple and on the practices of faith, but that doesn't mean that's a race. Uh, it means that Micah enters the dialogue and we enter the dialogue as well. And to me, I feel like we, we enter it somewhat like the younger cousins at a family reunion. Uh, it, it, sometimes when I would try to in, interfere with the conversation between my mother's aunts and uncles at a, a family reunion, my mother would, would sort of pat my, my knee and say, just listen to the conversation. You'll get the gist of what's going on, but don't try to interrogate the people who are sitting in this family reunion circle. We enter scripture like that, I believe, listening to the conversation, certainly being shaped by it, but not thinking that we have to arbitrate the differences between them. And I think that's what we do sometimes as Christians, is I think we try to triumphalistically say, this is our position as Christians, and so this gives us the privilege to silence certain passages of scriptures and emphasize others. It's all word of God, and we struggle with all of it. We wrestle with all of it. So that's my look at Acts chapter 11. Uh, I hope you'll continue to join me in these podcasts as we seek to redeem the drive for the commutes are evil. I will give you a heads up that after Eastertide, I'll be going on what I call a walk through the Psalms. So looking at the Psalms reading in uh, lectionary year C, uh, not the Psalms reading per se, but the alternative uh, uh, Hebrew Bible readings, the Old Testament reading uh, that, that are taken from Psalms. And so uh, you may want to start pulling your resources together as we walk through the Psalms. Uh, but enjoy these podcasts. I hope that they are helpful to you.